Sponsorship of the KQED live audio stream comes from Xfinity Mobile, featuring customized wireless plans. Customers can choose unlimited, buy the gig, shared data, or a mix of both and switch it up anytime. Learn more at XfinityMobile.com. From KQED in San Francisco, this is the Writer's Block. Hello, uh, this is Karen Russell, and I'm going to be reading from my first novel, Swamplandia. It's a tricky book to describe. It's about a family of alligator wrestlers who run a shabby tourist attraction, the titular Swamplandia, in a sort of a, a mythic version of the Florida Everglades. And um, uh, we're going to pick up with a performance called Swimming with the Seths. The Seths are the, what they call their alligators, um, which they wrestle. So here we go. Chapter 1. The beginning of the end. Our mother performed in starlight. Whose innovation this was, I never discovered. Probably it was Chief Big Tree's idea, and it was a good one, to blank the follow spot and let a sharp moon cut across the sky, unchaperoned, to kill the microphone, to leave the stage lights tin eyelids scrolled, and give the tourists in the stands a chance to enjoy the darkness of our island to encourage the whole stadium to gulp air along with Swamplandia's star performer, the world-famous alligator wrestler, Hylola Bigtree. Four times a week, our mother climbed the ladder above the gator pit in a green two-piece bathing suit and stood on the edge of the diving board, breathing. If it was windy, her long hair flew around her face, but the rest of her stayed motionless. Nights in the swamp were dark and star-leopard, our island was thirty-odd miles off the grid of mainland lights, and although your naked eye could easily find the ball of Venus and the sapphire hairs of the Pleiades, our mother's body was just lines, a smudge against the palm trees. Somewhere directly below Hylola Big Tree, dozens of alligators pushed their icicle overbites and the awesome diamonds of their heads through over 300,000 gallons of filtered water. The deep end, the black cone where Mom dove, was 27 feet. At its shallowest point, the water tapered to four inches of muck that lapped at coppery sand. A small spoil island rose out of the center of the pit, a quarter acre of dredged limestone. During the day, 30 gators at a time crawled into a living mountain on the rocks to sun themselves. The stadium that housed the gator pit seated 265 tourists. Eight-tiered rows ringed the watery pen. A seat near the front put you at eye level with our gators. My older sister, Osceola, and I watched our mother's show from the stands. When Ossie leaned forward, I leaned with her. At the entrance to the gator pit, our father, the chief, had nailed up a crate board sign. You watchers in the first four rows, guaranteed to get wet. Just below this, our mother had added in her small, livid lettering, anybody could get hurt. The tourists moved sprangily from buttock to buttock in the stands, slapping at the ubiquitous mosquitoes, unsticking their khaki shorts and their printed department store skirts from their sweating thighs. They shushed and crushed against and cursed at one another. Couples curled their pale legs together like eels. Beer spilled and kids wept. At last, the chief cued up the music. Trumpets tooted from our big old-fashioned speakers and the huge unseeing eye of the follow spot twisted through the palm fronds until it found Hylola. Just like that, she ceased to be our mother. Fame settled on her like a film. Hi, Lola Bigtree, ladies and gentlemen, my dad shouted into the microphone. 
her shoulder blades pinched back like wings before she dove. The lake was planked with great gray and black bodies. Hylola Bigtree had to hit the water with perfect precision, making incremental adjustments midair to avoid the gators. The chief's follow spot cast a light like a rhyme of ice onto the murk, and Mom swam inside this circle across the entire length of the lake. People screamed and pointed whenever an alligator swam into the spotlight with her, a plump and switching tail cutting suddenly into its margarine wavelengths, the spade of a monster's face drying up at her side. Our mother swam blissfully on, brushing at the spotlight's perimeter as if she were testing the gate of a floating corral. Like black silk, the water bunched and wrinkled. Her arms rode hard. You could hear her breaststrokes ripping at the water, her gasps for air. Now and then a pair of coal-red eyes snagged at the white net of the spotlight as the chief rolled it over the pit. Three long minutes passed, then four, and at last she gasped mightily and grasped the ladder rails on the eastern side of the stage. We all exhaled with her. Our stage wasn't much, just a simple cypress board on six-foot stilts suspended over the gator pit. She climbed out of the lake. Her trembling arms folded over the dimple of her belly button. She spat water, gave a little wave. The crowd went crazy. When the light found her a second time, Hylola Bigtree, the famous woman from the posters, the swamp centaur, was gone. Our mother was herself again, smiling, brown-skinned, muscular, a little thicker through the waist and hips than she appeared on those early posters, she liked to joke, since she'd had her three kids. Mom, Ossie and I would squeal, racing around the wire fence and over the wet cement that ringed the gator pit to get to her before the autograph seekers elbowed us out. You won. My family, the Big Tree Tribe of the Ten Thousand Islands, once lived on a hundred-acre island off the coast of southwest Florida, on the gulf side of the Great Swamp. For many years, Swamplandia was the number one gator-themed park and swamp cafe in the area. We leased an expensive billboard on the interstate just south of Cape Corral. Come see Seth, fangsome sea serpent, an ancient lizard of death. We called all our alligators Seth. Tradition is as important, kids, Chief Bigtree liked to say, as promotional materials are expensive. The billboard featured a ten-foot alligator, one of the Seths, hissing soundlessly. Its jaws gaped to reveal the rosebud pink of a queen conch shell. Its scales are a wet-looking black. We big trees are kneeling around the primordial monster in reverse height order. My father the chief, my grandfather Sawtooth, my mother Hylola, my older brother Kiwi, my sister Osceola, and finally me. We are wearing Indian costumes on loan from our big tree gift shop. Buckskin vests, cloth headbands, great blue heron feathers, great white heron feathers, chubby beads hanging off our foreheads and our heron braids, gator fang necklaces. Although there was not a drop of seminal or Mikosuke blood in us, the chief always costumed us in tribal apparel for the photographs he took. He said we were our own Indians. Our mother had a toast-brown complexion that a tourist could maybe squint and call Indian, and Kiwi, Grandpa Sawtooth, and I could hold our son. But my sister, Osceola, was born snowy, not a weak chamomile blonde, but pure frost, with eyes that vibrated somewhere between maroon and violet. Her face was like our mother's face, cast forward onto cloudy water. Before we posed for the picture on that billboard, our mother colored her in with drugstore blusher. The chief made sure she was covered by the shadow of a tree. 
Kiwi liked to joke that she looked like the doomed sibling you see in those Wild West daguerreotypes, the one who makes you think, Oh, God, take the picture quick. That kid is not long for this world. Our park housed 98 captive alligators in the gator pit. We also had a reptile walk, a two-mile-long boardwalk through the Perutus palms and sawgrass that my grandfather and father had designed and built. There you could see caimans, gharials, Burmese and African pythons, every variety of tree frog, a burrow hole of red-bellied turtles and lacrimose morning glories, and a rare Cuban crocodile, Methuselah, a croc that was such an expert mimic of a log that it had moved only once in my presence when its white jaw fell open like a suitcase. We had one mammal, Judy Garland, a small, balding Florida brown bear who had been rescued as a cub by my grandparents, back when bears still roamed the pine woods of the northern swamp. Judy Garland's fur looked like a scorched rug. My brother said she had ursine alopecia. She could do a trick, sort of. The chief had trained her to nod along to somewhere over the rainbow. Everybody without exception hated this trick. Her Osnods terrified small children and shocked their parents. Somebody help! This bear is having a seizure, the park guests would cry. The bear had bad rhythm. But we had to keep her, said the chief. This bear was family. Our park had an advertising campaign that was on par with the best of the aquaslide attractions and the miniature golf courses. We had the cheapest beer in a three-county radius, and we had wrestling shows 365 days a year, rain or shine, no federal holidays, no Christian or pagan interruptions. We big trees had our problems, too, of course, like anybody. Swamplandia had been under siege from several enemy forces, natural and corporate, for most of my short lifetime. We islanders worried about the menace of the Melaleuca woods. The Melaleuca, or paperbark tree, was an exotic invasive species that was draining huge tracts of our swamp to the northeast. And everybody had one eye on the sly encroachment of the suburbs and big sugar in the south. But it always seemed to me like my family was winning. We had never been defeated by the Seths. Every Saturday evening of our childhoods, our mom performed the Swimming with the Seths Act, and she always won. For a thousand shows, we watched our mother sink into black water, rise. For a thousand nights, we watched the green diving board quaking in air in the bright wake of her. And then our mom got sick, sicker than a person should ever be allowed to get. I was twelve when she got her diagnosis, and I was furious. There is no justice and no logic, the cancer doctors cooed around me. I don't remember the exact words they used, but I could not decode a note of hope. One of the nurses brought me chocolate duds from the vending machine that stuck in my throat. These doctors were always stooping to talk to us, or so it seemed to me, like every doctor on her ward was a giant, seven or eight feet tall. Mom fell through the last stages of her cancer at a frightening speed. She no longer resembled our mother. Her head got soft and bald like a baby's head. We had to watch her sink into her own face. One night she dove and she didn't come back. Air cloaked the hole that she left, and it didn't once tremble. No bubbles. It seemed she really wasn't going to surface. Hylilla Jane Bigtree, world-class alligator wrestler, terrible cook, mother of three, died in a dryland hospital bed in West Davie on an overcast Wednesday, March 10th at 3.12 p.m. The beginning of the end can feel a lot like the middle when you're living in it. When I was a kid, I couldn't see any of these ridges. It was only after Swamplandia's fall 
the time folded into a story with a beginning, a middle, and an ending. If you're short on time, that would be the two-word version of our story. We fell. I was 13 years old when the end of Swamplandia began in earnest, although at first I was oblivious of the dangers we now faced. Mom was dead, so I thought the worst had already happened to us. I didn't realize that one tragedy can beget another and another, bright-eyed disasters floating out of a death hole like bats out of a cave. Nine months had gone by since Mom's passing. The chief had not done anything to alert the tourists, beyond a small obituary that ran in the Loomis Register. Her name was still listed in every Florida guidebook. Her face was on our billboards and gift store merchandise. Her swimming with the Seths Act was just about synonymous with Swamplandia itself. High Lola Bigtree was the lodestar that pulled our visored, sweaty visitors across the water. So then I had to break some pretty bad news. We lost our headliner, I told them, gesturing vaguely, as if Hilola Bigtree were of no specific relation to me. But not to worry, I was quick to assure them. I'm Ava Bigtree, I'm her understudy, so you'll still get to see a world-class alligator wrestling show. The tourist would frown down at me or briefly touch my shoulders. That man over there, in the feathers? He said the wrestler was your mother. I held very still. I shut my eyes as whole shuddering flocks of hands descended. Wings brushed the damp hair off my cheeks. When some other kid's mother asked me how I was doing, I'd say, Well, ma'am, the show must go on. I'd overheard Kiwi saying this to a group of mainland teenagers in a tone like flicked ash. If a tourist knelt to hug me, I'd try to smile. Be kind to the kind people, Ava, the chief said. They are going to want to talk to you about her. But you know what? No one really did. Not after I told them what had killed her. I think they were hoping to hear that Hylola Bigtree had been attacked by her gators. They were after a hot little stir. Bones crushed, fangs closed around a throat, and an unlucky vent of blood. It was interesting to watch the tourist reactions when I said the words ovarian cancer. Cancer was banal enough that they were forced to adjust their response. Cancer, how awful. How old was she? Thirty-six. The tourist lady said, oh, or I'm sorry, and squeezed me harder. Most of the husbands drew back a few steps. Cancer, I could tell, did not impress these guys in the least. Most tourists sat through the show after we announced Hilola Bigtree's death, but a few asked for their money back. Those who had traveled the shortest distances always seemed for some reason to be the angriest, the Loomis Bingo and Highlight set. These ladies behaved as if our mother's death had somehow cheated them. This was our Tuesday outing, these blue-haired women whined. They had paid good money to see Hilola Bigtree do her swimming with the Seths Act. They did not take a 40-minute ferry ride to eat corn dogs with some big lizards and some extremely sorry-looking children. But death was just another kind of weather to these ancients, the chief explained to me, as ordinary as a rain delay. If they make a big stink, girls, you comp their gator tots. I came to hate the complainers, with their dry and crumbly lipsticks and their wrinkled rage and their stupid, flaccid old people's sun hats with brims the breadth of Saturn's rings. I whispered to Ossie that I wanted to see the register for Death's airplane. Who was boarding the plane in such a stupid order? The chief made up a shut-your-crone-face conciliation package that we were supposed to give the outraged senior people seeking refunds. The conciliation package contained a foam alligator hat designed to look like it was eating your head, a crystal flamingo necklace, 50 green and amber Seth toothpicks in a collector case, and a souvenir flipbook of our mother. 
If you turned the pages quickly enough, Ma moved like a primitive cartoon. First she dove, then her body tore a green seam down the center of the artificial lake. But my sister and I figured out that if you flipped in the opposite direction just as fast, our mom zipped backward. Then the pit bubbles flooded inward to form a smooth and undisturbed lake, and Mom landed on the diving board, her high dive reversing itself in a shimmering arc. She flew like a rock unbreaking a window. Glass fused, and then you were at the little book's beginning again. Who could complain after watching that? For some reason the tourists seemed oppressed by this trick. More than one high little big tree flip book ended up in the park's mesh trash cans. Within a month of her funeral, people were calling the chief to cancel their annual passes, and many more of Swamplandia's regular visitors simply stopped coming. Mom wasn't the only big tree wrestler we were missing. Grandpa Sawtooth had vanished that year, too. He was still alive, but the chief had exiled him to the mainland about a month before Mom died. The chief had installed Grandpa Sawtooth in an assisted living facility called the Out to Sea Retirement Community, a temporary thing, the chief had assured us kids, just until we'd tied up some loose ends on our island. We missed Grandpa, but he didn't miss us. During his last days on the island, he had more than once gotten lost inside our house. He still knew our names sometimes, but he could not match them to our faces. His memory winked on and off with the weird, erratic energy of a light bulb in a torment. We had seen Grandpa Sawtooth exactly once since his move. A few weeks after he got settled in, we spent 22 minutes in his cabin at the out-to-sea facility. Through Grandpa's portal, you could see the abridged ocean, lassoed in glass, and a low stone seawall. Inside the retirement boat, no music played, no living lizards curled tails along the walls, and the lights were halogen. The chief kept promising us another trip to Loomis to visit him. As soon as I muck out the gator pit, kids. Uh, as soon as I get a cage and rigging done on that airboat. By December, we'd stopped asking. To subscribe to the Writer's Block and hear more stories, visit kqed.org slash writersblock. The Writer's Block is produced by KQED.